Join me as we pray. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts join together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I heard a joke once about a kindergarten teacher who gave her class a show-and-tell assignment. Each student was to bring something to the class to share that represented their family's faith tradition. So the first student got up and said, my name is Benjamin, and I am Jewish, and this is a Star of David. And the second student got up and said, my name is Mary, and I'm Catholic, and this is a rosary. And the third student got up and said, my name is Sarah, I'm a Baptist, and this is a casserole. <laughs> now, it's a joke, but there's always a little bit of truth in a joke, right? We love food. We do. A few weeks ago, someone was asking me about last week's installation service, and they said, will there be food? And I said, is water wet? Is the Pope Catholic? Will Baptists have food? Of course we'll have food and it will be delicious. We love food. And every church I've attended or known, when we gather, either big or in small groups, there's usually food. Donuts at Sunday school, desserts at Christmas time, delicious feasts when we gather for church celebrations like, like last Sunday, and of course a delicious hearty meal every Wednesday by Chef Michael. In fact, one of our two ordinances in the church is a supper, the Lord's Supper. You could simply say, we love food, and that would be correct. But my spiritual answer is, we also follow the ways of Jesus, and Jesus loved meals. He loved meals. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is nearly always coming from a meal, going to a meal, or at a meal. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus says about himself, the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. And he did this often with people that were the outcast of the society and culture. And because of this, Jesus says, you religious leaders call me a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A very common theme in Luke's Jesus is his enjoyment of meals and his friendship with the poor and the outcast. And when Jesus ate with others, it wasn't just simply a meal. Jesus was reenacting the kingdom of God, where the table is set, all are welcomed, and all are nourished and fed by and through Christ. Throughout Luke's gospel, there is an excess of food, and there is an excess of grace because of Jesus. And they often happen simultaneously at the same time in Luke's story today in chapter 5, that is the case. Our text begins in verse 27 where it says, After this, he, Jesus, went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. And when you read something like this in scripture, you should naturally wonder, well, after this, what, what was this? What was it that Jesus was coming from? And right before our text today in Luke's Gospel in chapter 5, this is the story of the paralyzed man. The man who was brought by his friends and lowered through the roof right in front of Jesus interrupting his teaching. 
These friends had heard about the powerful healing work of this Jesus of Nazareth, and so they brought their friend to see Jesus. And that story tells us that when Jesus saw the faith of the man's friends, he told the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders that were listening to his teachings, they were devoted to the strict observance of the law of Moses, and they began to mutter, asking, who is this that blasphemies God, who so disrespects God by saying he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins, and that only happens through the rituals done at the temple. That was the law. And Jesus, overhearing them, responds, saying, which is easier to do, to forgive sins or to tell a man to get up and walk. And to show his authority to forgive sins, Jesus turns to the man and says, get up, take your cot, and walk. And he did. And the next verse, verse 26, right before our text today, says this, amazement seized all of them and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen incredible things today. Notice things are plural. They've witnessed not only the healing of this paralyzed man, they've witnessed the forgiving of sins through the words of a man rather than through the rituals of the temple. Something new is in the air in the land of Galilee. Jesus is growing in popularity among the people, but so is his controversies with the religious leaders. They've heard him now offer forgiveness of sins, which challenges the laws that are designed to keep God's people set apart, pure, and right before God. And now Jesus will share a meal with those religious in the religious community that are considered unclean. Once again, challenging all the laws that are designed to keep God's people set apart, clean, and right before God. And so it's after these incredible things, in verse 27, that it tells us that Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi and at his job tells him to leave everything and follow me. Elsewhere in the gospel, Levi is referred to as Matthew, one of the 12 disciples. But it's not his name that is the challenge, it's his occupation. Ryan did an excellent job this morning talking about tax collectors in the day and why they might not have been so popular. They were, in fact, among the most despised, the outcast for their professions. Roman authorities contract, contracted with um, those local leaders, often Jewish, to collect these taxes because it was such a sensitive matter and they thought if their own people took those taxes from them, it might not be such a difficult thing. And as was the case, there was not a lot of oversight and when these tax collectors would come, they often would take excess and put in their own pocket and become wealthy. So they were thieves of the people, of their own people. In addition to that, in collecting taxes, they had to interact with the Gentiles who were unclean and impure. And so their mere interaction with those people would have made them also unclean and unacceptable. And maybe the worst of all, they were seen as those who worked with the enemy. And they were traitors to their own people and to God because they worked against God's people. 
And so as unclean, greedy traders, it is, of course, understandable why the Jews would want nothing to do with them and would most certainly not ever enter their house or share a meal with them. But Jesus did. After Jesus calls Levi to follow him, verse 28 tells us that Levi got up. He left everything and he followed Jesus. And then Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Levi was clearly a wealthy man to afford such a great banquet for Jesus and these fellow outcasts. Levi gathered a great crowd of people, and we can assume it was a crowd of also tax collectors and other marginalized people. But Jesus didn't boycott the, the meal because of how Levi earned his money. And Jesus didn't refuse the invitation because of who would be at the table. It's Levi, already an outcast, who prepares a table of grace for other outcasts to meet Jesus and to hear about the forgiveness Jesus offers. And Jesus eagerly accepts the invitation to the meal. New Testament scholar Scott Barchi wrote this about the role that meals played in the culture of Jesus' day. It would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin for the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation to open the way to reconciliation. You see, based on his experience, Levi anticipated religious leaders refusing to even talk to him, looking at him with disgust and judgment. There was never an invitation to re reconciliation, just continued resentment. And so when he meets Jesus of Nazareth with healing abilities and the authority to forgive, calling Levi to be one of his closest disciples, it changes things for Levi. Jesus comes to his house and he shares a meal with him and his friends, a sign of friendship, fellowship, and reconciliation. Levi's banquet opened the way to reconciliation with a group of outsiders that God's people had shut the door on. And that is part of what Jesus was coming to announce when he came to walk among us. But the Pharisees weren't ready. You see, when, while Luke's gospel refers to the partygoers as tax collectors and others, the Pharisees, when they complained to the disciples, referred to them as tax collectors and sinners. Their intention is clear. These people are unclean. And our laws forbid us from sharing the intimacy of a meal with those who don't measure up to our standards of purity. They are enemies of God and God's people. God surely would not expect us to share a meal with them. But let's remember the context of this whole story, right? 
Right before the dinner party, the paralyzed man's sins were forgiven by Jesus, not by the purity rites of the temple, but by Jesus. Before that, there's a healing time where Jesus touches and heals a leper, which would have made him unclean. And now he's dining in the home with a tax collector and other sinners, also unclean outsiders. Because you see, Jesus is announcing that the old has gone. And there is a new way. And it's happening through the grace of Jesus. And no longer is uncleanliness contagious, but it is grace that is contagious. And it's beginning to spread. In October 2010, author, speaker, socialist Tony Campolo spoke here at this church. And in it, uh, his speech with us, he told about a time when he threw a birthday party for a prostitute in Honolulu at 3.30 a.m. See, Tony had been in town for a, a gathering, and that night, the night before, he had gone to this diner for a late-night coffee and a donut. And while he was sitting there in the diner, the door swung open about 3.30 a.m., and in walked eight or nine rowdy and very interesting prostitutes. And it was not a very big diner. And so they sat on either side of Tony. And about as he was ready to get up, because he was so uncomfortable, the lady beside him said to the group, tomorrow is my 39th birthday. And her friend started laughing and said, well, what do you want us to do about it? Throw you a party? Want us to make you a cake? And she told him to knock it off. Knock it off. I don't expect anything. I have not got nothing for my birthday ever in my life. And I expect nothing now. Well, maybe it was the late hour or the really bad donut, but Tony got an idea. And so after confirming that they came in each morning about the same time, he talked to the owner of the diner and asked, would you help me throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow? And the diner said, absolutely. My wife and I will make a cake, we'll prepare the food, and we'll get the word out. So the next morning at 2.30 a.m., Tony shows up at the diner with crepe paper decorations and a big homemade sign that said, Happy 39th birthday, Agnes. And they set the diner to be ready for this surprise party. And the owner of the diner did a great job getting the word out, because soon the diner was full of prostitutes and Tony. Well, at 3.30, the door to the diner swings open and in walks Agnes. And she is stunned as those gathered at the counter began to sing happy birthday to her. And then she openly weeps when she sees the beautiful white cake with 39 flaming candles on it. She's touched. And so much that she goes over and she clutches this cake because she's never had anyone throw a birthday party for her. And when they get ready to cut the cake, she says, could I please just take it home and savor it because I've never had a birthday cake before. And after she left and everybody stood there in silence, Tony offered up a prayer for Agnes. And when he finished, the owner, Harry, leaned over the counter to Tony and almost with some hostility said, hey, you did not tell me you were a preacher. What church do you go to? And in one of those moments when just the right words come, Tony says, I go to a church that throws 3 a.m. birthday parties for prostitutes. 
And Harry pauses for a moment, and then he kind of sneers, and he said, no, you don't. There aren't any of those kind of churches. If there was a church like that, I'd go to that church. Jesus would throw 3.30 a.m. birthday parties for prostitutes. Tony threw that birthday party because of Jesus and his life. Jesus shared meals with tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts. Jesus called a hated tax collector to be one of his 12 closest friends and disciples. You see, Jesus was announcing a new way when he walked among us, and it challenged the religious then and even now. Robert Karras says that in Luke's gospel, Jesus got himself killed because of the way he ate. In his book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester compares the old way and the new way that Christ was announcing. The new way in the kingdom of God is gracious rather than religious, inclusive rather than exclusive. It's welcoming rather than unwelcoming. It is characterized by feasting rather than fasting, rejoicing rather than grumbling. It recognizes its own needs and it finds hope in the Savior rather than feeling self-righteous, rejecting the Savior. Look at these two lists, the new way, that Christ announces, and the old way. Gracious, inclusive, welcoming, feasting, rejoicing, recognizing your, our need. Over piety, exclusiveness, unwelcoming, fasting, grumbling, and self-righteousness. So when I read this story, I ask myself, are, are, am I one living as someone in the new way. Are you living in the new way? Are we as a church living as a church that belongs in the new way? Each Wednesday at our 5 p.m. meal in our fellowship hall, we host community and unhoused friends as well as members and attendees of this church for our weekly meal. And gathered around those tables are people who struggle with lying and greed and addiction and selfishness and judgment. And that's just the church folks. <laughs> I don't know what the struggles are for our community friends, but I'm going to guess they're probably pretty similar to ours. Our text today ends with these words from Jesus in verses 31 and 32. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This verse is given by Jesus in response to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law's question as to why Jesus and his disciples would eat and drink with such sinners. Their attitudes revealed their belief that they were above associating with those who habitually and horribly missed the mark. And it never occurred to them that the self-righteousness and smugness in their heart was sickness in God's sight, too. When Jesus spoke, he allows them and us to decide whether we are well or sick.
saint or sinner. He doesn't call anyone out. What Jesus doesn't allow is for us to sit on the sidelines of this story. We're either at the table with Jesus and the tax collectors or the sinners or with the critics. When Tony threw that early morning birthday party in Honolulu for those judged and excluded from society, he set the table for a meal of grace with Jesus. And as the owner, Harry, said, if there was a church like that, I'd join it. Is this the kind of church that Harry and Agnes would join? And if not, what needs to change to be that kind of church? And what would it look like for you and me to host meals of grace with Jesus for those that are in our lives that also, like us, need to be nourished by the grace of Christ? You see, Jesus came for all of us. He calls each and every one of us to repentance over and over. It's not a one and done. The Greek word means, in the closest English meaning, to have a change of mind. But it might be even better to say to think differently afterwards or to change your mind after being with. And so to repent means to be convinced of another way, to change your mind or convictions, especially after being with Jesus. And in response to being convinced in our mind and our heart, we then change our actions. Because repentance means turning from going our own way to going God's way. And so Jesus was inviting those early religious leaders to repent, to change their minds, to think and act differently about what is clean and what is unclean, and about what, or rather who, now makes us right before God. And Jesus was also inviting Levi and the tax collectors to repent, to think differently about their profession and their treatment of others. Jesus invites us to repentance too, each and every day. Maybe we need to think and act differently toward a group of people or an individual that we've shut the doors to. And maybe we need to think and act differently about how we treat others. And maybe we need to change our mind about going our own way and trust again or for the very first time that life is indeed better and more abundant with Christ. Church, may we as a faith community and as individuals be known for throwing birthday parties for those who feel forgotten and cast aside by the world. And may we welcome and always widen the table of grace as Christ has taught us to do. Let's pray together. God of generous, extravagant grace, we give thanks for the Tonys and Levi's who in the ways of Jesus, have created space at the table for those often excluded. Oh God, we pray that we too could do the same and that we would be known as a church, both gathered and scattered, that shares meals with Christ and others, no matter how different our stories may be. 
God, help us to be people of the new way. Gracious, inclusive, welcoming, feasting, rejoicing, recognizing our need for Christ. Make us like you, Lord. You're a servant. Make us one too. We give thanks today and each day for your grace and love that constantly transforms us into the people we are made to be. Amen.